Arrested and Flogged is an interesting title for a service. And I've been, took the challenge that Ange gave us to try and think about songs that we could have sung. I couldn't find too many um, in, in uh, the Christian songbook, but there's a few that occurred to me from when I was a younger person, when I wasn't the um, righteous, upright fellow that you see before you today. Um, how about Don't Go Breaking My Heart? Elton John and Kiki D, that has a sense of pain about it. Killing Me Softly with his song, originally by Roberta Flack, but I think the Fuji's version is more interesting from the 90s. Uh, Whip It Good by Devo, that's quite a good anthem, I feel. One of my personal favourites, it's, it's on the list of 10 worst lyric songs, and it goes, I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream which is a little bit like Peter Pector, pick of Pepper's business. But, but finally, and I think perhaps the crescendo would be Beat It by Michael Jackson. Too soon? Yeah, possibly. Well, arresting and flogging. The story of the early church, I guess that the primitive church in Jerusalem continues from Acts 5.12. I'm going to read it to you now. Now many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, in order that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he came by. A great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all cured. Then the high priest took action. He and all who were with them, that is the, the sect of the Sadducees, being filled with jealousy, arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But... During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. We heard, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. When the high priest and those with him arrived, they called together the council and the whole body of the elders of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the temple police went there, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were perplexed about them. I'll bet they were. Wondering what might be going on. Mm -hmm. Then someone arrived and announced, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Yeah? Then the captain went with the temple police and brought them, but without violence, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. 
Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, well, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, Fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thudas rose up, claimed to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will, it will fail. But it is of, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him. And when they'd called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day, in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. Well, when my kids were young, Lord of the Rings was huge. And so was Star, Trek, Star Wars. And one of our boys was especially engrossed with these movies. So it made buying presents for him, Christmas and birthdays, really pretty straightforward. And I recall taking him to the third Star Wars movie. And in the battle scenes, he had his imaginary lightsaber out, this sort of business, and he was going for it. He was fighting alongside the goodies, complete with extensive sound effects. And it got to the point that I had to rein him in because the people around us were getting irritated by this aspiring Jedi sitting behind them. And all through that movie, he would go, Dad, is that a goodie? Yes, okay. Is that a baddie? Okay. For him at age six, that was the important question. Who were the goodies and who were the baddies? And I think we can look at Acts a little bit similarly. We tend to see the apostles in the early church as the goodies and the Sadducees and the priests as the baddies. Not only is that very simplistic, but it prevents us from learning from the Sadducees because we're demonizing them. 
So I thought I would have a go at retelling this story from a Sadducee's point of view. Someone perhaps who looked a little bit like that. Well, for the next little while, my name is Joshua Ben Isaacson. I'm married to Ruth, not Ruth Woods, another Ruth, who is the high priest's niece, so I'm quite well connected. I've been a member of the Sanhedrin, our governing body, for a couple of years now, and the smart money is that one day I'll do a term as high priest. But the apprenticeship may be 20 or 30 years. You see, there's a queue of learned men in front of me, and they say that patience is a virtue. What no one seems to understand about us is that we walk this really tricky line between appeasing the Romans who run the show and the common people who seem to jump on every passing clown car. We are the meat in the sandwich, copying it from both sides. The Romans, whatever you might say about them, their needs are admirably simple. Keep the tax money flowing and let's not have an uprising. And they don't really care about anything else. But if they don't get those things, what they want, there'll be a showdown. There'll be violence. And we'll lose. And our people will die. It's happened before and it will happen again. And the crowd has a very short memory. The Romans let us know who's really in charge by sacking the high priest quite frequently. The average term is under two years. We are a captive people. We are a small cash cow for the empire. They don't really care about us. Now what really worries me is that one day they will lose patience with us and destroy the temple. And not having been there, it's hard for me to explain to you how absolutely beautiful temple worship is it defines us as a people it's our heart and our soul by the grace of god we survived the babylonian exile but it was pretty awful for our fathers being chucked out of the promised land being exiled from zion and it could happen again so for us if a few people have to die to keep the temple going that's okay that's a price worth paying. Caiaphas was right. There's more at stake than the life of one innocent man. Speaking of which, Jesus, that rabble-rousing peasant, was put to death a little while ago for blasphemy. He claimed to be the son of the Blessed One, as if a tradie from the back of beyond was divine. Yeah, right. He attacked our spiritual leaders and tried to destroy the temple market. What a son of Satan he was. We thought his death would get us through that crisis because it was obvious he didn't care about the temple worship in good order. But it hasn't. Now his follower, Peter, a fisherman, 
is preaching all the time and supposedly working miracles just like Jesus did. It feels like we're playing this game of whack-a-mole that we're losing. One goes down and another pops up. Peter and his acolytes are like firebugs let loose in an ammo dump. They've got no idea what's at stake. They'd burn it all down for the sake of this dead Galilean chippy. Makes no sense to any of us. The Romans could and would send us all home in body bags as soon as look at us. If it's not the Jesus freaks, then it's the zealots or other way out groups. It's hard to keep the peace. We don't get any thanks for it. And what's more, I heard the other day that this Peter killed a couple who didn't tithe properly. Shivers, man, that's a bit serious. That's pretty hardcore, even we don't do that. Well, we had them jailed the other day, and we're about to question them, and somehow they'd escaped without our jailers even having noticed. Pretty odd. Where were they? Well, they were in the temple doing their spiel about Jesus again. Good help is just so hard to find, isn't it? Well, when we finally had them brought to the Sanhedrin, most of us wanted to have Peter and his group crucified without any more mucking around. We thought, let's be done with them. Surely that would make the rest of them just run off and hide wherever they might hide. Maybe we should have killed the whole lot first time up not just Jesus. Well, instead of defending themselves or apologizing for their insolence and disobedience to the council, they took the opportunity to preach. To preach to us. They had the cheek to suggest that we were to blame for their Jesus' execution when it was entirely self-inflicted. Everyone knows that if you blaspheme, as he clearly did, you deserve to die. It's not controversial. And Gamaliel spoke, and if you haven't heard of him, he's like the sort of the spiritual and intellectual leader of the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees are our in-house fanatics, our, our fundamentalists. They never met a good rule that they didn't want to follow. However, they do good, very good work with the common people, which frees us up to, you know, study the law and run the temple worship and the sacrifices and stuff. Well, Gamaliel said, if there's nothing in this movement, and, and that clearly has to be right, then it's going to fade away like all the others before it have. Smart man, that Gamaliel. Smart for a Pharisee. So we just had them whipped to make the point that we were serious and we let them go. Next time, it'll be crosses all round and we'll just figure out a way to get the Romans on board. What really gets to me, though, and I think to many of my brothers, is we get no credit for this juggling act that we perform. No credit for preserving this wonderful tradition that we've taken forward. No credit for our years of study and work that we put in in order to serve the people. The crowd are far more impressed with rabid lay preaching and circus magic tricks. I hear my servants chatting among themselves on the quiet. Many of them are sneaking away to go to Peter's night meetings. 
Even those that don't are impressed with them, but they don't want to offend me by going along. Our intelligence agents that we've planted in the movement tell us the same thing. In fact, one, of them, one or two of them are starting to sound like they've sipped the Kool-Aid one too many times and they might have gone over to the other side. Like I said, good help is increasingly hard to find. Everybody heard about this disabled guy who used to beg outside the temple that Peter healed, supposedly. So every superstitious, broken or demonised nutty peasant for miles around is coming to Jerusalem to get healed by him. This personality cult that's growing up around Peter, it's awful, it's idolatrous. I have the sense that this won't end well for the Jesus freaks. Or for us. So such are the thoughts of Joshua Ben Isaacson. And as I've read this passage, I have the sense that the temperature is increasing. And one day it's going to blow. And Joshua, well, he may well be right. It won't end well. His comment about trying to walk the line between the Roman overlords and the needs of the people, I think are probably fair enough, actually. They probably were trying to keep the community safe and see temple worship continue to the glory of God and protect the people. And I imagine that this little personality cult that was growing up around Peter probably concerned Peter and Joshua, both. However, did you sense the blind spots in Joshua's little spiel? Because temple worship, this beautiful thing that he loves and reveres, had been made into a business. Jesus cleared out the temple courts because they were full of money changers and people selling animals. The sacrificial system had become a racket. You see, you couldn't rock up to the temple with your own lamb to sacrifice or one that you bought at the market down the road. You had to exchange your everyday drachmas, your money, for special temple money and then buy your animal in the temple market from an approved dealer. So it cost an individual worshipper far more money to make a sacrifice than it should have. And it lined the pockets of the elite who clipped the ticket on the way through. Joshua's self-interest was in play, which had been attacked by Jesus. He had servants because he was on the teat. It can get a bit dangerous when you see your interests and the national interests as being wholly aligned. You can be blind to what's going on for you. And then there's Joshua's lack of curiosity about this miraculous jailbreak and the healing of the disabled beggar. He saw both of those remarkable things as problems to be worked around, not miracles. I do not imagine that he and his colleagues even considered Gamaliel's alternative suggestion that all this might be of God. Gamaliel, who was Paul's teacher, the Apostle Paul's teacher. It seems to me 
that the key questions that these learned, holy men of God failed to ask and sit with was, who was their God and what was their God up to? They spectacularly missed the wood for the trees. God was very busy and engaged right under their noses as he always has been and they missed it. They didn't see it. Why? I think the answer must be that they were committed to the status quo which served their purposes. It supported them with a position and an income. They were jealous of the apostles because they too wanted to be well thought of but they weren't because other people could see that self-interest that was in play. And I think, you know, the same risk is present for us. We cannot love our Christian tradition and experience, whatever that might be, so much that we don't accept what God might be doing in front of us now. We need to have our eyes open. Doug has been chatting with a local guy who has a whole face covered in tattoos. A bit like these guys, a bit like the guy on your right. Probably prison tats by the look of them. He's a scary looking guy. But when I encountered him, he had the biggest smile on his face. And I knew that God was working in his heart. Now he's dropped off the radar recently, but if and when he re-emerges, there needs to be space for him here. We need to have space for established Christians, for the people that we find easy to relate to, for those that make us uncomfortable, like people transitioning perhaps from one gender to another, or for people like this guy, He's a bit scary. Jesus loves them every bit as much as he loves you or I. And if they're good enough for him, they need to be good enough for us. Amen. Could the musicians please come forward for our last song? stand. could do it for memory. <laughs> there we are. No, not quite the right one, but we're getting there. There we are. Yay for Emma. <laughs>
Let us go forth into the world in peace and dedicated to your service, O Lord. Let us hold fast to that which is good. Render to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the needy and the afflicted. And honor all people. Let us love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of his Spirit. And may God's blessing be upon us and remain with us always. Amen. The whippings are over. <laughs>